Hello, and welcome to the third episode of Inside Music. I'm your host, James Shotwell, and on today's episode, we're speaking with Jacob Tinder, digital editor for Substream Magazine. Before we get to the show, however, I want to take a second and tell you about our sponsor. Inside Music is made possible by Holix, the leading digital distribution tool trusted by record labels and independent artists worldwide. Whether you're looking to get your music in front of the press, or you simply want to leg up in the battle against digital piracy, Holix has the tools you need. For more information, as well as a free 30-day trial, visit www.holix.com. That's www.h-a-u-l-i-x.com. Got it? Okay, let's get to the show. I was trying to think the other day about when you and I first met, and I know that I reached out and contacted you at some point, but do you actually recall like why we first started talking or when that happened? I do, and and interesting enough, um, this doesn't go quite back that far, but I was just looking at our Skype log, and the last time we talked on Skype was in August of 2012. <laughs> that so seems ridiculous. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um. I don't know. I know that it was it was 2010 or 11. Um, I can't recall exactly what which year. Um, it would have been late 2010, but at the time I was running the um, the destroy rebuild until God shows forum, and we had I don't know we had some tip on something and we posted it and I think you guys sourced us on Under the Gun, and I think you reached out to me on Twitter via that, and I think that's how you came across my blog, the Curbside Audio blog that I was running at the time, and then you're like, hey, do you want to write news for Under the Gun? And I said, no. And, uh, and then I think um, we kept in touch after that, right? Yeah, definitely. I think we chatted back and forth for a while about different things, and then eventually when I got really tired of doing what I was doing and wanted to do something bigger, um, I took you up on your offer, and you're like, oh, well, why don't we just like, you know, bring you on as like a co-owner? And I said, okay. And then Grant dropped the ball, and I wasn't hired, so I got pissed at you because I thought you just led me on to make me quit my blog. <laughs> And uh, and that eventually got straightened out. Yeah, I you were the first person I ever wrote like a a real pitch letter for because I remember reading your stuff and being like, we need this kid, not just because he's a good writer, but because he's probably a better writer than I am, and I need to make <laughs> sure that he's on my team and not oh. on Zach's team because how it was at the time is I would remember <laughs> that like Zach and I were only just barely friends, and between Zach myself and john at alter the press it would be like if someone found a new blog we'd be like oh we could just get them to write for us and then we it was kind of like we were trying to pick people for a dodgeball team (laughs) yeah i mean that's really nice of you to say but i was a shitty writer (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it was absolutely terrible i read back on that stuff sometimes i'm just like terrible terrible stuff 
in hindsight, I think everyone is a terrible writer when they start. But I mean, I I have seen terrible writers, and I knew a few very personally. And I just was like, oh, well, this kid knows what he's doing. Even if you weren't the best writer, you clearly had the mindset to do this, to like be writing about news and writing about music. And like, I think it's very easy to tell when somebody is doing it because they have an interest in it and is doing it because it's like, oh, I, I can build a resume with this or I can kind of get in the industry this way. Yeah, I had no intention of any of that. Like, I, I do believe when I started my first blog, um, the first post I ever wrote was about a band that I didn't listen to and I was angry about for no reason. <laughs> uh, it, I believe it was of Mice and Men and uh, I was pissed off because I knew that Jerry from Skite's Airplane was in there and I like Skite's Airplane and I listened to some of the, the live stuff that he did with of Mice and Men when he filled in after they got rid of Austin. And then when they brought Austin back, I was just pissed. So I, I think that's what what got me started blogging. Do you remember <laughs> like why you thought to start a blog in the first place? That was literally it. Like I mean, I had um, I had a Tumblr, and uh, I basically used that for like um, like photo edits that I would do because mm-hmm. I used to really be into like making funny pictures um even as far back as like ms paint i was still replacing my dad's head with barney and stuff like that pixel by pixel and uh whenever i did something i thought was cool um and it wasn't i posted it on tumblr and then eventually um i found wordpress and i was like "Ooh, this is a lot more organized which fits my lifestyle so um i don't know i started writing and writing reviews of mod sun mixtapes and here we are. Here we are. How many years do you know exactly how many years it's been at this point? Uh, I started when I was a... I guess I I started um, in a, my senior year of high school, probably early senior year. And that's just because I got... That's when I got my BlackBerry. So I had internet in my hand. Because um, I didn't have internet at home until... Uh, actually, we didn't have internet in my house until I was a sophomore in college. And, uh, yeah, so I I think it was senior year. It would have been 2010 or 2011. That's crazy to me that you didn't have internet in your house to that point. We didn't have internet in my house until I was in high school, but when I was in high school, it was like 2002. Right, so that's different. I mean, we had dial-up in the old house uh, where where I went to a different school, like, growing up. Um, But, you know, that was dial-up, and that's, you know, I kind of got into, like, Fall Out Boy at that point, so I was going to, like, the Fall Out Boy chat rooms and stuff like that. Um, but then we, when we moved out to the country, um, the dial-up was even worse, if that's even possible. So, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have it until I got myself a BlackBerry that I paid for with money that I made throwing hay at a farm. And uh, I decided to turn that into a couple little internet ventures, and that's how we met. Yeah, apparently it worked out for you. Did you uh did you read any like music sites or music writing prior to starting to write yourself? Like did you have an, an some kind of influence in your life for that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I mean um I mean I was aware of Under the Gun, uh basically just for like the stuff that, you know, follow like the post hardcore stuff that I was into at the time. Um which is funny cuz looking back at the stuff that got me started and like introduced me to all these people that I know now is 
is something so far beyond my taste at this point that um, it's a little, little strange. But yeah, I, I you know I read Under the Gun some. Um, I was a user. I've been a user at Absolute Punk since 2009, I think, and uh, and I read Alternative Press and Rolling Stone magazine at the library. So yeah, I was I was reading about music whenever I could um, after I started collecting CDs and got into that in middle school. That makes sense. I was actually talking um, somebody else the other day about when we started on Absolute Punk because that was definitely a launching point for me. I think I signed up probably around 2009. I'm not 100% sure, though. I signed up because they had a Fall Out Boy song premiere, and you could only stream <laughs> it if you were a member of Absolute Punk. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to become a member of Absolute Punk today. Is that still a thing? Do you still have to be logged in to hear their song streams? I don't think so. I don't. I don't know that you do. It's been so long since I've had to use absolute punk that way and how they how they do song streams has changed but i remember back in the day you had to go to like the artist profile page and the song stream would be within their profile page and so you needed a member that was the only way jason could set it so that you had to be like a member to see it uh Uh, and that's how i became a member and then it took like ten thousand posts before i ever was like i'm gonna go do something else (laughs) but it's interesting yeah i don't i don't have that many posts Um, (laughs) i still i think i'm still in the hundreds the post. I was always a lurker. I, did, I was not much of a of a talker there because I would see the comments and I'd be like, "Oh, I don't want to be a part of that discussion. It's just mm-hmm. toxic." So you joined my site under the gun, and we worked together for a long time. Did you there was there a point when you? Because I know you eventually go to college and then you kind of study the music business and such. So at what point during all of this were you kind of like, maybe I could turn this into a career, or were you interested in music in a career before you ever started writing about it? Uh, I think it came down to just like timing. You know, I was a senior in high school and I started writing about music, and uh, you know, I'd never been paid for it, so it wasn't like anything I thought I could turn into a career. It's just something I like to do in my spare time, and uh, so when it came to picking colleges, you know, I had to. It's the point where like your mom's like, "Well, what do you want to do with your life?" And uh, no kid should be able to answer that question in high school, and I couldn't, so. I think it. I just chose what I thought was safe, and I knew I liked music, and I thought, well, maybe I'd like to produce music, so I looked into schools in the Ohio area for music production, and there were a couple options, and one of them was, uh, one of them was like a, it was a Kent campus in Stark. It was, you know, there's no like dorms or anything, so it'd be like a 45-minute commute both ways. Uh, the second one was a Christian college called Malone, and uh, there was a girl that I was interested there at the time who didn't return my affection, so I decided that might not be a good option. And uh, then there was Hawking College in uh, Southern Ohio, and that's what I ended up going with. And uh, I didn't stick with the music production track. I switched to music business, and um, I don't recommend the school. I don't feel that I learned anything there that I didn't teach myself, and in a lot of cases, I, I felt like I was teaching the class, which I didn't feel was beneficial um, to anybody. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of just chose music because that's what I liked, and uh, I guess there's really nothing more to that. <laughs> well, you know, you kind of brought up something that I was going to mention anyways. Um, we talk a lot about this on the site, 
but people ask probably on a weekly basis if they should go to college, if they should study music business. And it seems like most people who have gone to college say they shouldn't study music business. Maybe they should go to college, but they shouldn't study music business. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. Um, when when I'm asked that question personally, at least recently, um, I do point them to one of Zach's recent podcasts. He had something on the subject, and I wish that I would have been on that call because they had a lot of good points, but I still feel that they might have missed out on some things. Um, you know, I going to school for music business, I think, is is really kind of foolish. Um, I won't say I, I, I learned nothing because there were point like parts to the to the lectures that you know I, there were things that I didn't know about, like you know record labels. Um, like royalties, uh, you know all that all that copyright kind of stuff. That stuff I didn't know about before. Um, is that something I could have learned about? You know, like getting a couple books from the library. Absolutely. Um, so I think, really, I think the the benefit to going to college, even if you're in the music industry, is just to kind of buy yourself some time to do practice because that's really what college is. At the end of it, um, you're paying a lot of money to stay out of the real world for two to four years so you know I I made the best of my situation um, I know that there are a lot of great music industry programs so I won't speak for everybody to say that going to school for music industry is a bad idea I know that Full Sail has a great program and it's something that I wish I could have gone into um, but you know if if you decide that you want to be a part of the music industry and your mom decides that she wants you to go to college, I say go to college for business. Or um, if you're into the actual music, go to school for music. Like, Learn music as a profession. There's tons of jobs you can get just by being able to compose and, and make music. Um, but otherwise, I think business is probably the best track for anybody who wants to be in the music business. I have to agree. I mean, I think it's about finding a, a subject area that you can apply to music more than it is about studying music itself. Because everything you need to know about working in the music industry, you will learn by working in the music industry. And I don't really know how else to say that, but I think yeah. that the nuts and bolts stuff, the balancing numbers and things like that, that's useful in any area of business. And it can be applied to music and you can get a nice leg up in life if you or at least in life in this industry, if you know that stuff. But simply studying, you know, music theory is not really going to get you anywhere. Absolutely. So let's talk about what happened post-college, because I don't think we've been able to cover that on the podcast yet. I know that we've interviewed some other people that are around your age, but everyone kind of has their own adventure. You, like the vast majority of people, went to college for music business, got out of college, have all this experience from writing about music and interacting with bands and all this networking and then nothing. Uh, I mean, it's just, and it's not you, it's that there wasn't really a job waiting when you got out of college. Right. Um, I know that we, you know, we talked about my post-college a lot um, while I was in college. And, uh, you know, there are some opportunities. Um, I know even for a time, like, we had talked about me coming to Boston to work for our stage before mm -hmm. that all <laughs> kind of went to, to hell. But, um, you know, there were opportunities, and there were opportunities before college. Um, you know, we've talked about this before, but I was offered a job at Alternative Press right out of high school. And I decided that um, since I had already already committed to, to going to college and, and hawking, 
um, in Athens, Ohio, that that really wouldn't work out because they wanted me to be in the offices in Cleveland and to do that and to do school, I would have had to transfer to Cleveland State. And I just I decided that I wasn't ready at the time, so um, I held out. And in retrospect, I, I wish I wouldn't. I I wish I probably I, I I think I should have taken that job just from an experience standpoint, um, considering what I got out of college um, in comparison to what I could have got out of a working relationship with Alternative Press. Um, I think that would have been a better option. But um, you know, throughout college, like there were there are different offers and there are different opportunities that came up. And then post college, you know, it's back to home, back to rural Ohio where there is no music industry and. At that point, it was kind of dead, and there wasn't a lot going on. And uh, when opportunities came up, like usually, um, they'd be out of state, and it was just something that I wasn't ready to do or comfortable doing. Um, and I've just kind of been been waiting for the right opportunity, and uh, eventually, that came along with Substream, where I'm at now, and I love it. It's it's out of home, and. Uh, and I like that. I, I, yeah, I think it fits. It fits you very well. I just, I think it's important that people understand. Like, you're somebody that realized really early that you could do this, and you did it well enough that people liked it, and you kind of ran with it, and you ran with it for like the better part of five years. By the time you got out of college, and then, well, three or four years, and then there wasn't a job waiting for you, and it still took like another more than another year of like pushing and pushing before that opportunity finally came and it really came out of like the most random set of circumstances yeah you know i there was there was a lot of pushing but there was also a time when when i had just about given up and that's that's kind of when i started withdrawing from under the gun as you all know and uh you know there there comes points in in everybody's life where you know they they go through all this work and put all this effort into something that they think they want to do for the rest of their lives. And when it doesn't pan out as quickly as you might have planned, um, that's kind of defeating. So there is a point where I was definitely um, kind of on the ropes. And uh, I was beaten down and worn out. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it. And I was looking at other options, maybe going back to school for something else. And uh, and I was kind of kind of stuck on that until... Until Substream contacted me and started that relationship. What do you think you would What do you think you would be doing if you had made that decision and been like, "This isn't worth it"? You know, I think about that a lot. Um, and, you know, that that still comes up on, from time to time. You know, even though I do have a, a quote unquote job in the music industry, um, you know, I still have that thought. Like, is this what I should be doing? Like, is this something that's going to, like, in the end make me happy? Will, will I be making enough money to do the things that I'd like to do with my life? Um, those things come up. But I think if if I would have gone another direction, um, I probably would have gone into some sort of, like, straightforward business management sort of career, you know, whether that be working at a bank or managing some sort of retail store or um, something like that. I feel like I probably would have gone in that direction just just for the monetary compensation, mm-hmm. um, and I probably would have found something else to do with with my time to keep my creative side happy because that's always a struggle. 
Yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down to, is, like, keeping the beast at bay. Yeah. It's hard. You know, you know, there are days where you're like, you know, I don't want to do this creative stuff anymore. Like, I'm, it's nothing that I'm ever, I'm ever going to make anything out of. I need to get a real job. And then when you're working your real job, you're like, I hate this. I, want to, I don't want to be here. I want to go home, and I want to write, or I want to design, or draw, or, you know, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, I think that's kind of like the gift and the curse of creativity is that people who, even if you even if you don't feel that you're very good at it, if you're the kind of person that has found a way to make a living or get recognition for doing something in a creative aspect, I think it eventually drives you to the point where you're like, you hit a wall with it. You hit a lot of walls being creative, and it's it's very frustrating, but as soon as you kind of put away, put it down or walk away from it or try to say, like, I don't need that anymore, it comes roaring back, and you're just like, oh, no, no, now it's worse than before, and I have to kind of even go bigger with what I'm trying to accomplish. Like I have to, you have to be able to, like, vent that part of yourself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's such a struggle. There are days where you just, you just want to, like, you want to write an entire book that day. You just want to sit down, you have an idea, and you just want to run with it. And, you know, there are so, I have so many, un, I, I won't even call them unfinished because they're barely started, but I have so many books that have, that have like three chapters and that's it. I'm probably at about 10. And if I were to finish them all, I could, I could release like a book a year for the next decade. But, you know, it's, it's, um, it's hard to balance that kind of stuff, especially when, you know the the creative things that you like to do. Um, you haven't yet found a way to to get paid for it. Yeah, and it and it takes time because what I've always found is that as soon as you think you found a way to get paid for that creativity, like it, it comes and goes so fast that unless it's like there's paperwork involved and a contract, there's really no guarantee that that creativity, that paying outlet for your creativity is going to last longer than like one paycheck. Yeah. Or, or even if you sign a contract. Yeah. As we have both (laughs) learned, (laughs) we have both learned that one the hard way. And that's something I tell everybody that writes. I mean, it's something that comes up a lot. I feel is that people get into writing and they understand that you usually don't get paid at first to be a writer, especially in entertainment writing. But I don't think a lot of young writers understand that even the people that have quote unquote made it spent uh, upwards of seven years usually before they were making anything close to a steady income. And even then they probably had a second job that they just didn't tell anybody about. Right. I mean, that's how it is a lot. I mean, if you look on my leak, if you look on my LinkedIn right now, you won't see the, the day jobs I have. Like I, I work, a thousand jobs at a time, but you won't see most of them on LinkedIn because they're just, they're not what I want people to know me for or to hire me for. Yeah, is that frustrating for you? I mean, you Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, even now, like, uh, you know, I'm working a pretty close to minimum wage job just to get by and, uh, you know, I'm still, still unfortunately living with my folks and I say that and people are like, oh, well, you're only 21, that's normal. And that, you know, I'm sure that's true, but I don't feel 21. I feel like a, a lot older than that. So, you know, it's I'm to the point where I need to be making more money. So I'm starting to make those choices, and you know, I'm I'm applying for jobs that that pay more, but will also take away my time from the creative pursuits that I have. And yeah, that's absolutely frustrating because that means at the end of the day, when I've worked a full full day's work at you know my day job, I got to come home and 
sink another six or eight hours into my creative outlets and yeah yeah it's I, frustrating. I mean i feel like you're at this point and i was talking to somebody else about this the other day that this this post-college point is really i think the make or break time for most people because it would be so easy for a lot of people to hit the point that you're at and say i need to make more money i need to take on more responsibilities and kind of say well then i guess i have to put this writing thing down and then go and be a teacher or go and work a nine to five in a cubicle somewhere and uh, most people 80 percent plus that start off thinking they want to work in the music industry i think that's the wall that eventually breaks them but if you can stick through it there's usually something good on the other side. Maybe not right on the other side, like seven years on the other side. Yeah. But like, I feel like you're right in that real decision-making point where it's like, okay, this is like a real deal person who's going to do this as a career and somebody who's going to get, you know, disheartened at the whole idea and walk away before they're in so deep they can't turn around. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's uh, something I think about every day because they're – there's the part of me that that plans out its entire life and you know wants that picket fence and a dog mm-hmm. and uh and then there's the the other part of me that wants a a shitty apartment in Chicago with a typewriter on a desk you know yeah and it's weird because as you grow up especially and I'm sure you've already started to notice this the other people that you know people from high school or college and stuff like their lives kind of hit this trajectory point where they're just like, oh, and now I, I got my first real job out of college, and then I met the person that I'm going to marry, and we have a kid, yeah. and now we have two kids, and we have our first house, and it kind of kind of steamrolls. But people that chase the entertainment industry, it's way more elongated. It's like, I got out of college, yeah. and then I scraped pennies for two years, and I started to get paid for what I did. And somewhere I met somebody, things fell apart. I got a divorce. Oh, yeah, I got married. Then I got a divorce. And <laughs> it's like this whole, it's like, it seems so much harder to make it in a creative field and have all those things, the house and the family and all that other stuff. And I don't really understand why that is. I think it goes back it's to so that creative strange. pull. But I don't... It's really so strange because, you know, People like you and I and, and those in the entertainment industry, we're, we're completely different animals from those that we graduated high school with. And you really start to understand that when you come back from college. You know, coming back for summer break is one thing, but you know, once you, you've come back from college and they've come back from college and everybody's starting to go to that career level or that you know, further relationship level, um, you know, you'll, you'll meet up at, at a bonfire or something with some of your old high school mates and they're all they're all excited about what you do because what you do sounds so cool like oh you're you know you're an editor of a magazine like you're on an entertainment website you know you patrick stump from fall boy knows your name like oh that's so cool when in reality you're you're broke as a joke and they have a lot more money than you do and uh and they you know they get married and start having kids like you said you know this past year has been so strange for me that's it's really starting to get to that point um, I went to my first wedding from somebody in my class and uh, the first death in my class happened a couple months ago so it's all this like all these lives like moving on in in these four directions and you kind of feel like you're still stuck in the same thing because it's the same thing you've been interested in since high school you know you're still into music and you're still into writing about music, so it's it's strange to see all these other people grow up and uh, 
and their perception of you, I think is really strange. Yeah, I think it's the kind of thing that can very easily get in people's heads, and I think it does. It messes with a lot of people's heads. I know I still get that way, and I've been out of college even for a few years now, but I see people yesterday, as an example, somebody was like, I can't believe their child's name is going to start kindergarten next week. And I was like, well, I guess <laughs> I guess my music blog is old enough to be in school at this point. Like, that's as close yeah. to being as responsible as they are as I feel. And then I'm like, but I bet if you flip the tables, they think what I do is real interesting. But to me, I'm like, holy crap, you've made a living thing that's all the way up to being in school at this point? Like, you've done way more than me. Yeah, that's a really strange thing to think about. To think that, I mean, Under, under the Gun is how old now? Six years. Six years old. Yeah. That's incredible. So as long as, so people who have kids that are going to kindergarten or first grade that I went to high school with, like, they had a kid when I started the site, and now I still have the same music site, and that kid is going into school, and you start to be like, well, uh, this is how I've decided to spend my time, and like, this is what I have, and this is what they have to show for their time. Not saying one's necessarily better than the other, but you definitely see, it's, it's funny how like you kind of alluded to, everyone sees the other side of the fence as greener. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just so weird. Different paths, you know? Yeah, different paths, exactly. Uh, you've mentioned Substream a lot, and I, I do think we should, we should get there, and then we can talk about the blogging game a little bit. We talk so much about life. I enjoy it, though. Um, you did. You found this. You got this role at Substream earlier this year, and I don't want to like go into the story too much, but essentially, I ended up doing an interview with uh, Jason, who runs Substream, and in the midst of it, he mentioned needing somebody, or at least wanting somebody to help build up the Substream presence, which kind of shocked me, because... I've always known of Substream Magazine, and I think a lot of people do, as this is a publication that's not quite at the level of alternative press, but has always has been a staple of the scene for a few years. So when Jason said he needed somebody, it just caught me so off guard because I was like, you don't already have like a team in place? And then as I thought about it, I realized that I couldn't name anybody that actually worked for Substream other than Jason. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, maybe, maybe there's not as much going on behind the scenes as I think there is. And you had told me about your struggles with finding a job, and I knew it was something you really wanted and you I had a feeling that you would want to stay in Ohio you mentioned not really being ready to leave things and I was like oh Substream is in Ohio this is this is perfect he probably won't be able to pay him enough but this is this is yeah. close to an ideal situation is like I could hope to fall from the sky and so I reached out to you and I don't really know what those conversations with him were like but not very long after that initial being like, hey, Jacob, I think you could do this, you were like, oh, I'm doing this thing with Substream now. So I don't know, maybe you uh, could start there and kind of fill in some blanks for us. So I tell you about this opportunity, and then you reach out to Jason yourself, and then what happens? Well, um, yeah, originally it was just kind of like a consult. Um, I got on the phone with Jason and uh, just talked about some things that I, I suggested um, could be changed or improved on the site. Um, and uh, then I asked him, like, you know, do you do you need do you have anybody dedicated to this task? Like, do you have anybody that's that's job it is to to maintain the website and the content, to schedule it, and to you know get it out there in a in a in a timely fashion and and make it look good? And um, he said, no, but do you do you have anybody in mind? And I said, yeah, me. <laughs> and uh, and shortly after, um, we met up in Delaware, Ohio, which is about an hour and a half from where I live, and uh, got lunch, talked to he and Drew, and shortly after, um, sent some paperwork along and made it official. 
Now, what is your actual title? Do you have a title? I do. Digital content editor. Basically, Which... um, basically, it's you know, it's the managing editor of of any website. I, I, everything that goes on a website is under my domain. And you've been doing this for how many months now? Like three or four at this point. I started. Uh, uh, I started officially in first week of May, I think. So we're so, three months in at this point. And I, yeah. I, th- I think it. What was it like when you first came in? Like you're somebody that's been in blogging for a while, and Substream, like I said, it's been around for a while, but their presence online was definitely not that vocal. So, what was it like for you as somebody who's been a part of sites that have been very active for the last part of years, and then you get to kind of peek behind the curtain at Substream? What did you find, and what did you do? Like, what were the first things you did once you kind of got in the door? It was an entirely different animal. Um, you know, I, I got in. And uh, and the way that it worked there was obviously a lot different than it was under the gun. Under the gun had a lot of a lot of people behind it pushing in a lot of good directions. And uh, Substream is still essentially new. Like the website had been around for a couple of years, but um, nobody was really focusing on it. It was just kind of like a promotional piece for the magazine. And uh, I mean that's what it should be, but I think um, it needed a lot of improvement. So when I came in. Um, Anything that they had for news uh, was literally copy-pasted press releases, and um, I wasn't going to have any of that. You know, I said this is a publication; it's a it's an extension of of our print publication. And if people come onto our site and just see press releases copy-pasted, um, why would they want to buy our magazine? If you know, if we can't take four minutes to, to write a news article, what, how good is the content going to be in the mag? So I changed that up. Um, a lot of what we post now is uh, it's reviews and features. Um, we focus on exclusive streams and, uh, and video content as much as we can. And uh, in between, we do editorials and reviews and interviews. Um, news is something that I'm, I'm hoping to push into, but I don't. I don't want to get into that too soon because it's something that um, definitely helps, but at the same time, there's a lot of improvement with the writing staff that I've been trying to make just to improve their writing and their critical thinking and uh, the way they format posts the right way just to, to make everything a little more cohesive. And um, so that's that's what I've been working on for the past couple of months in addition to uh, redesigning the site and making everything look presentable. Um, for the people who come and read. That's great. How big is uh, your team of contributors? Like, do you have a group of people that also help write for the site? Yeah. Um, it's again, it's it's so much different. The way things work here is um, so much different from under the gun, but in the bad way. Uh, we have a team probably about as big as how how big is under the guns at this point? I think we have about. 30 or 40 contributors, and I know when I left under the gun, we had about 30. Yeah, I'd say it's probably like 20 to 30 people somewhere in there. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty close to the same. It is different, though, because I don't know them. Uh, you know, being under the gun for so long, I knew everybody there. In fact, I hired a lot of them, so um, you get to know a lot of people, and that's something I've been, I've been working on with the new staff as well, and just reach out to them on Twitter, and have them find me on Facebook, and getting to know everybody and 
make sure that, you know get us all on the same page as a team because before I came along uh, it really wasn't much of a team thing it was kind of a uh, editor writer relationship but I think there's a there's a huge benefit to having the writers knowing each other and you know promoting each other's material and giving them suggestions and feedback on their writing and how they can improve um, that's something I really try to push no, I think you're completely right. I mean, if I've if I, we've learned anything from when we worked together over the last couple of years, I think it's that sites function best when everyone feels like they have some stake in what's going on within the site. Oh, absolutely. I think everybody wants to say, you know, especially in a game where um, you're not getting paid. Um, there aren't very many paid bloggers in our community, uh, you know, with the exception of Jason, who who is on payroll by Spin Media, um, there, and anybody who gets ad revenue, like it's really kind of a resume builder, if anything else. And I tell my writers, I'm like, you know, this this thing that we're doing here, it's a it's a group effort, but it's also a solo effort. You should be using this to promote yourself, and by extension, um, you'd be promoting the site. So I encourage them all to to share their posts and and get people to come to the site to read their material. Um, I had them all um, put in their information in the author box. You know, find me on Twitter, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever they wanted to link. I let them do it. Uh, I try. I'm trying to get everybody to get Google Plus so that their their authorship shows up in Google and, and makes them a little more visible. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of community building that I think is really important and that's something I really enjoyed about Under the Gun and I'm hoping to kind of duplicate it Substream. What are the biggest challenges that you think Substream faces going forward right now? Because the print side is pretty pretty good. I mean, it's, it's done pretty well as far as Jason has let me know, but the print side, as you've said, is still, it's still relatively new and there are so many so many sites that have kind of established brands online and I think Substream it's Substream is such a unique case because there's an established brand but not an established web identity which yeah. is it's like how do you bridge how do you plan to bridge that gap you know at the end of the day um, the main goal of the website is to get people to subscribe to the mag because there's a lot of great content that we put in the magazine there's a lot of effort and design work that goes into to creating this magazine that I love. You know, I, I love the magazine. Um, I love how homebrew it is because it really is. You know, we're just a bunch of kids, um, with the exception of Jason, of course, and uh, we're just putting together this awesome fan mag in in our basements and and sending it off to this printer who prints it out and ships it all over the world, which is really an amazing thing. Um, so my goal is to is try to get people to subscribe and read the magazine because you know print print's in trouble and I really wish that it wasn't because there's a there's a side to print that like you just can't duplicate online. Everything online is just so disposable. It's it's a click away, but it's also um, a quick way from leaving. So when you have the magazine, it's something tactile and something you might pick up, you know, more than once. Um, I can't. I can't really say that there are a lot of articles on the internet that I visit more than once or twice, and, uh, and that's that's a reason I, I really wish that that print would stick around. So I'm trying to get as many people to subscribe to the mag as possible. That's my job description. But at the same time, um, I want people to you know to do that by 
by enjoying what we produce online because it's an, it's, it's an extension of what we're doing in the mag. I think you just brought up a great point. I, I never even thought about that before, about how often I reread articles in a magazine, or at least I even flip through the same magazine like a dozen times versus scrolling through the front page of my favorite website. Yeah. I, you know, I use my magazines as a reference. My mom hates that I collect them, but, you know, I have, I have shelves upon shelves of, of magazines from all different corners of the entertainment world and in my bedroom. And I, whenever I, I'm like, oh, man, I... I need this fact. Like I still reach up and I grab Alternative Press or Rolling Stone or Mojo or you know Spin, whatever it happens to be, where I know that there's an article that I can, I can look up and you know could I find that online? Yeah, maybe, but um, there's a lot of information that just isn't on the internet because it's, it's in print. Mm-hmm. You uh, you actually just made the transition to being a print writer yourself. Your new your first cover story is out. Is it out now or is it coming out? It is. Uh, it came out this week. Um, the the story is on Beartooth, which is which is really cool because it's um, I th- I think it was really fitting, um, you know, with myself being from Ohio and and finding a brand uh, that took me on also from Ohio and uh, my first cover being by an Ohio artist, which is uh, Caleb Shomo, uh, formerly of Attack Attack. Um, he started this new project called Beartooth, and uh, I met up with him in Ohio at the Warp Date and uh, did this great interview. I think people are really going to enjoy We touched on a lot of like family and, and home projects and, and stuff about Ohio, uh, as well as the, the project itself. And, and yeah, it was announced this week, and I'm really excited about it. It was, a, it was kind of a surprise that was pushed onto me two days before I went to Warp Tour, and uh, I had to have the article completed less than two days later. So um, I went from not thinking that I'd, I'd ever write for the mag portion of Substream to landing my first cover all in four days. That's crazy. Yeah. What advice would you give to uh, aspiring online writers about maybe not even writing a cover story, but did you learn anything from trying to write a cover story that you think could be applied to online writing? Because I always feel like when I read a feature in a magazine, my first thought is like, why isn't there more of this on the internet? Like, why don't people write like this online? You know, that's my thought as well, and that's something I'm trying to push with Substream. Um, you know, there's a lot of writing on there that I just, um, I think is okay. And and it's no offense to, to any of my writers, because we have some great writers, and I think everybody on our staff has the opportunity, like has the, the talent and uh, opportunity to be great writers. Um, so when it when it comes to writing a, a piece for print, I really don't look at it that much differently than the pieces that I do for, for online consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when it comes to an interview, I do my research and it really comes down to that. It's, it's knowing what questions an artist has heard a thousand times um, what questions they've been asked and have answered, um, and what questions can still be asked that they didn't fully answer in the questions that they have asked before. Um, so when I'm doing research for an interview like I did with Beartooth, um, you know, a lot of it's talking to people that I know that enjoy Beartooth and asking what bits of information they know. You know, as a fan, you, you tend to take in every little bit of information about an artist that you can. So the first place I go for for tips on on good questions and and talking points is the fans. You know, like I want to know what they want to know more about because they already know so much. So 
I go to that. Um, I go to former interviews uh, with other publications, and once I'm done with the interviews, usually I have questions. I'm like that they just didn't answer. You can only fit so much into a into three thousand words. So um, I take I take notes from other interviews and take notes from the fans, and then I formulate my questions and I try to put it together um, in my head as far as the how the conversation is going to go. Um, and that's something I think I do for for most aspects of my life. I like to plan out the conversations my hit head, even though I know that usually they won't go that way. And I think when I do that, uh, the the interviews go a lot better. They go a lot smoother. It's a conversation rather than a, a question answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think it's also part of that is it's hard sometimes to sit down with an artist, especially in a setting like Warp Tour, and get them to kind of get into the flow of an actual conversation, because especially as writers in those situations, it starts to kind of feel like your sheep being herded to and fro different artists, and they're just like, oh no, this this guy's talked yeah. to seven other people today. He totally wants to hear whatever you have to say. Absolutely. And, you know, that's that's part of the planning. Like, it's understanding that. Um, you know, I knew as soon as I showed up to Warp Tour, like, I, I had a contact for, for on-site, and, uh, you know, I told them I'd like to talk to them as early as possible, just so, you know, they wouldn't exhaust themselves talking to somebody else. Um, and then when, you know, you finally get into a conversation with them, you know, hit record right away, of course, um, but just kind of warm them up, you know, it's okay to ask some of the questions that they get asked all the time because that gets their it gets their mouths moving and their their brain thinking, especially if you're doing something like early in the morning or or after a meal or something like that when you know they're people they get lazy just like everybody else does, um, especially in the mornings or or after they've eaten or or they're just relaxing. So um, you know, just bringing up stuff that you know they like or you know how their day's going or how you think. Um, or asking them uh, how this day is is you know different than the last, or it's just it's kind of warming up the conversation. You don't you don't ever want to hit an artist with one of your heavy questions right away. You want to save that for for the end because they got to open up. It's like a question with anybody. You know, you go to a bar and you meet a guy, and it's just going to be you know a little chit chat here and there. But by the end of the night he's going to think you're his best friend. And that's the same way I look at interviews. You just got to warm up the conversation. I think that's a good way to look at it. I mean, there are always going to be people who just kind of, for whatever reason, have that mental wall between them and the press. But I also think that there are artists out there who, especially in the alternative rock genre heading of all things pop punk and everything, I just think that there's a lot of young artists who aren't well-versed in how to do interviews when they first start and it takes them an album or two to really get to a point where they can have a conversation that's more than just single sentence responses at least, yeah. that, at least that's something i've encountered is even same same goes for writers though i mean I, through the holix blog i've learned that the people who've only been writing for about a year are not really ready to do an interview about their own writing style and who they are as a writer because they don't really know yet and i think the same probably applies to bands that blow up and then they find themselves on tour na- nationwide after an ep like how are you supposed to know how to yeah. tell you who you are to somebody else absolutely i, I think donald glover is a really good um really good example of that he put out that freaks and geeks ep and it blew up 
and you know at that point you know he was he'd been making music for a while really really underground and just essentially for his friends and you know he was a he's a tv writer and actor so when that ep dropped like how do you how do you explain yourself as a musical artist when when you've only been doing it for so long i mean it's difficult yeah exactly um well, that's great. That's great. I, I'm excited to see what you do next. I mean, I feel like things have really kind of turned a corner for you recently, and I think that that happens to a lot of people in the industry as they kind of hit this dry, a drought or a dry spell for a while. But you got this substream thing, and you, you made the most of it, and you continue to make the most of it, and it's kind of starting to, like, the snowball is becoming bigger. Like, you got the job, and then, you know, the, the numbers started to grow, and now you have your first cover story under your belt. And, I mean, we're only three months in. By the end of the year, who knows what you will have been able to accomplish just thanks to this one opportunity kind of coming your way. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely been a strange year, and I think the end of it's just going to be even weirder. And 2015, I can't even think about 2015. That's, I, I, I have no idea where I'm going to be in 2015. There's a lot of changes in my, in my career path by that time, and there's going to be a, a lot of changes in my personal life in that time as well. You know, I've got a girlfriend that lives in Michigan right now, and she's going to be moving down here in a couple months, and I have no idea what that means. I'm 21, and I don't even... I'm barely an adult. I have no idea what's going to happen. And uh, I think that's, I feel good about that because for so long I've, I haven't been able to think that way. I've always been, um, oh, I'm way more grown up than my peers and I should be this far in my life at this point and and all that. And at this point I'm just kind of like taking the opportunities as they come because they will come they'll present themselves and it's just whether or not you're going to take them when they do. Do you have any goals for yourself for the next year? Goals. Yeah. I'd love to move out of my parents' house. That's a, that's a big one. (laughs) That's a reasonable, I think that's a reasonable goal. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, um, it's depressing to be in the same room that you painted when you were in sixth grade. You know, and you still get all these things on your walls that represent a person that you were almost a decade ago, but you aren't now. So it's it's like being stuck in this little time vault. And uh, I'm I'm really hoping to to move out of here pretty soon, just for growing up's sake. That's good. I think that's I think that's a solid uh, goal to have. Yeah, career wise, though, um, you know I. I'd love to see Substream grow. Um, I'm really hoping to... I, mean, I I like to think that what I've done so far has helped, um, but I'd like to you know keep pushing that and keep creating good content and finding the finding the people that are going to be able to write well and uh, and represent Substream well. I just love meeting new awesome writers that want to contribute, and I find a new one every month or two every month, and it's it's always awesome. Do you think you'll uh, do more articles for the print magazine? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm slated for a couple for the next issue. Uh, nothing I can, I guess, talk about yet, but... Um, but they're happening. 
yeah they're they're happening that's that's exciting i know you can't i uh, figured you probably couldn't talk about it but i guess i probably could but i i have no idea i don't want to get in trouble <laughs> yeah i've been here three months i don't want to don't want to push it plus you know as soon as you like say that it's happening something will fall through and it'll be like oh well now you're talking to this guy oh, or and something. they already have that's the that's the thing so i don't i don't want to like <laughs> i don't want to make it any worse <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I do want to ask you this before we get out uh, of this conversation and get out of this conversation. Like, we have to run from it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you see yourself, I mean, do you have any desires to do something outside of writing within music? Do you want to manage an artist, run a label, book shows, anything in between? I want to do all of it but book shows. I, <laughs> I really any desire to do that. I've done a little bit of everything so far, and, uh, and booking shows is is my least favorite thing. I don't like handling money, so I don't like to be the guy. I don't ever want to ever be the guy at the show that is carrying around the money that the bands need before they leave. Like I I don't like that responsibility. Money isn't something I enjoy. Um, so booking is a no, but um, yeah, I would absolutely love to manage bands. And there's a couple that I work with now and just kind of get my feet in the water. And as my contact list grows, it it makes it a lot easier that's for sure that makes sense that makes sense um well that's good to know man i i I don't know i feel like i've known you for a few years but i i guess i never really know it's kind of hard to know what everyone else is working towards because i don't always know what i'm working towards myself like if you ask that's fair don't don't feel bad because i mean i change my mind every month (laughs) We'll have this conversation again next month, and uh, you can just run it under a different name because it it won't be the same conversation. You know, I, next month I may not want have to do anything with managing. Like I don't may not want to touch that. There are months when I want to do publicity, and you know that I started a publicity firm last year. And what have I done with that? Very little. Yeah, so, understandable. Um, it's you know it's again that's just kind of how I am creatively. Um, I move from thing to thing and. And luckily, uh, Substream supports that, and they're like, "Do your thing. This is the online is your domain. Just run with it." So, 